1: Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.
2: Meet the Mets, meet the Mets. Step right up and reach the Mets. Bring your kiddies, bring your wife.
1: Yes, the
3: Mariners life. will meet the Mets starting tonight in a three-game series. Thanks for being back, Mariners Pod. One of my favorite things, old <laughs> baseball theme songs, and the Mets have a magnificent one. A rare series against the Mets. We'll dive into it with our good friend Mark Simon coming up in a few minutes. We'll also hear from Taylor Dollard, who is off to a great start at Arkansas this year, who is Texas League pitcher of the week. His numbers have been fabulous. We'll talk to him. He's also was roommates with George Kirby down there. So we'll hear all about George Kirby as well, who will start game two of the series against the Mets. In fact, this is how things line up for the Mariners starting tonight. First pitch 4-10, Marco Gonzalez against Max Scherzer. Of course, the Mariners trying to get the offense cooking. Max Scherzer, not usually the recipe for that kind of success. We'll see what the Mariners can get done against the future Hall of Famer. Game two, George Kirby returns home. He'll face Chris Bassett. Again, 4'10 on Saturday. And then Sunday, getaway day, Robbie Ray against Carlos Carrasco, the start of this grueling trip. Toronto for three after that. The Red Sox for four next weekend. This is a really tough trip. We talked about this month plenty already that it was not going to be easy. This, on paper, is the toughest stretch of the season for the Mariners, starting with the road trip last time through Florida and Houston, of course, the Rays again back at home, and then the Phillies, and it has been a struggle. There's no doubt about it. And the Mariners trying to right the ship here on this road trip, and again the Mets so far this season they've been absolutely one of the best teams in baseball. They are 22 and 11 on the season, tied with the Dodgers for the best record in the National League. Their pitching has been excellent, top five ERA in baseball. Their offense really good as well, seventh in the majors and runs scored, although it's interesting how they get there, a very different profile than we usually see with top-scoring teams in baseball. They don't really slug. It's been on the rise a little bit, but still just halfway point in baseball in terms of slugging percentage. Just a really interesting group that makes a lot of contact. Scherzer, is going to be a challenge, clearly, an ERA under three so far, 49 punch-outs in 37 innings, and it doesn't get much easier. Bassett in game two after a great start at 2.5 ERA, 38 Ks in 36 innings. Carrasco, a great bounce-back, a tremendous story. Uh, an ERA just a touch over three. He's got 33 strikeouts in 36 innings. The rotation has been excellent so far. And of course, they have some big names offensively Lindor, Alonzo. I mean, you know a lot of the names. So it is going to be a really challenging weekend. We're going to dive into it more with our good friend Mark Simon. We'll also hear from Mark next week, too. We'll have a very fun conversation about defense. Right now, though, we're going to talk some Mets.
0: You watch the Mets on a daily basis, and they have been one of the most fascinating teams in baseball so far this season. Just give us kind of a big picture overview from what you've seen, from what has been a very interesting season so far?
2: So if you took the things that worked for the Giants last season in in route to winning the 105 games in the National League West, um, I think that the Mets have uh, adopted a lot of similar uh, things from that. They've gone for a veteran team. They're willing to mix and match guys. Uh, They have their starters and their star players, and they're willing to mix and match guys in – different spots when they need to. So let's start with the starting pitching. Starting pitching has been awesome. Um, Scherzer and Bassett and Tyler McGill, which you couldn't have, guessed in a thousand years that he would make the jump, but like his first pitches of the season were like 98, 99 miles an hour. And you're like, what's this? Um, And now you're just kind of, as if you follow the Mets, you're just hoping he doesn't get hurt. And Carlos Carrasco had this lost year last season where he got hurt, um, where it, it just never worked for him this year. He's right back to where he left off a couple of years ago in Cleveland. So all those guys have been fantastic with the knowledge that DeGrom will come back. Eventually, mm-hmm. uh, so they've all been really good. The bullpen's been mostly good. The occasional shakiness, but every team is dealing with that. I think if the Mets graded their bullpen, it would probably be a pretty solid B plus, uh, A minus kind of thing. So you take that uh, and then you take the fact that Lindor looks a lot better than he did last year, that Alonso is blasting balls like it previously has, that Starling Marte's had a couple of really nice games, uh, that they've won a couple of games that they absolutely positively should not have won. Um, they've stolen games. They're essentially banking some wins right now. And they look a lot like a team that's going to win 100 this year, as long as they stay healthy. I don't know if they're going to. And I think that the, the last thing with that is the, the other piece with that is Buck Showalter. Uh, I think the tone that he set in spring training, they brought they essentially... They put together a team that was tailor-made for Buck because Mm. he's got his star players. He's got his really good pitchers. He can do what he needs to do with the bullpen. And then he's got his guys like Luis Guarme that he can plug in here and there. And he can put Dominic Smith in for Pete Alonso at first base and Pete Alonso can't say boo because it's Buck Showalter and because Dominic Smith's a better defensive first baseman than him. So I think you're seeing things like that. And then with that, are the little things and the attention to detail. There was a game earlier this season where the Mets had first and third. There was an appeal play at third base uh, where the pitcher thought that the runner had left third base too soon. He turns around, flips the ball to third base, third base and steps on the bag. None of them noticed that the guy that was on first base just took second base. Um, and that was J.D. Davis. He credited Buck Scholder with that after the game. He said that that was something that Buck taught them in spring training, and uh, it, it worked there. It didn't necessarily impact the game, but it was a meaningful thing in the moment, and I think they right now look like an 100-win team. They look like the 06 team a little bit, uh, they look not uh, like it's a different thing than the 15 team, but the 06 team, we're not going to make comparisons 35 years ago to the 86, you know, ish teams, but they, they look a lot like the 06 team so far. They've been very, very good.
0: What do you see out of Francisco Lindor?
2: Uh, he looks a little bit more relaxed this okay. year. He seems um, much more into it. The thing that that hurt him last year was that he got off to this. Um, he got off to a bad start. He looks comfortable in the field. He looks comfortable at the plate. He's given them uh, good at bats when they've needed it. He can run a little bit. Uh, he looks more comparable to the player that they thought that he was getting than the player that they got last year. That was really just um, <laughs> deep sigh, I guess, from, from the start. Um, that, that feels like it's been completely washed away and he's been very good so far for them.
0: We enjoyed watching our good friend, Edwin Diaz, the former Mariner, close out a no-hitter, which is notable in Mets history. Just the second no-hitter a couple weeks ago. That was a pretty phenomenal night.
2: Yeah, he's had two appearances in his Mets career where it looked like he could have thrown a 1,000 pitches and none of them would get hit. Both of them were against the Phillies. Both of them were against the heart of the Phillies lineup. The second of those was the the set that closed out the no-hitter. 21 strikeouts in 12 innings. He's been very, very good this year. I think there's still trepidation uh, when he comes into a game just a little bit, but more games like that will wipe it away. Diaz has has had his rough times in New York. Right now, it seems like he's on an upswing, and it's just a matter of, I think for him, what it largely comes down to is, like, are they chasing the slider? And if they're chasing the slider— He's, he's going to throw a thousand pitches and none of them are going to get hit because he keeps you guessing. Uh, and because that pitch uh, when it's right, just completely wipes hitters out.
0: The Mets had such an interesting off season to me because it wasn't like the previous one where Lindor was like the headliner, right? It was more, you know, Canna and Bass, you know, these guys that don't necessarily grab the attention, but are really good good players throw Escobar into that mix. I mean, how has that kind of puzzle all come together for the Mets and how big of a factor has that been?
2: Yeah, so that's been really good so far. And the key to that is going to be whether or not those guys stay healthy. Because Canna's 33, Escobar's 33, Marte's 33. James McCann, who they really got two years ago, is 32. Travis Jankowski, who's been like their super sub off the bench, he's 31. Um, those, to me, feel like they were they were Buck Showalter kind of, kind of gets. They were gotten with the idea of that that they're going to be high on, they're going to be high to modest on base guys. They're going to be good power guys. They're going to, if they're healthy, they're going to play 145 games, and you don't have to worry because the track record is there for all of them. That at the very worst, they're going to be, you know, average major leaguers, and at the very best, you're going to get something that's pretty good. And thus far, uh, it's been pretty good.
0: It's wild to me to look right now: the Yankees, Mets both in first place, the Dodgers angels, both in first place, something about the LA, New York right now. <laughs>
2: yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, so the Yankee thing is kind of funny because when the season started and they didn't get off to a good start, uh, the New York, the New York Yankee Twitter base was, uh, pretty stoked, I think, but now they've hit this run where the pitching has been very good. They've got, um, four starters whose ERAs are are very low. Uh, Their bullpen has been very good. Chapman has been uh, strong. Clay Holmes has been really good. And then, like, little things come up, like this Nister Cortez takes a no-hit bid pretty deep, and he's striking out 12 per nine innings, and he's looked great so far for them. And who would have figured that? And Garrett Cole's been, uh, after a bit of a shaky start, has been just fine. Guys, guys have bad starts. Stuff happens. Trust the track record. His track record is pretty good. I think they're going to be pretty good. The The interesting thing about the Dodger angel thing is the angels aspect of it. Uh, the angels actually added a Matt uh, Noah Syndergaard this offseason. They seem to feel like uh, they seem to feel pretty good right now because they've got Otani trout and Rendon healthy. Even if Rendon's not necessarily hitting They've uh, and they've gotten otherworldly production from some people that you wouldn't expect, like Taylor Ward, which is a bit of a mystery. And also give uh, Valesquez credit; his defense at shortstop has been excellent for them. I'm not as convinced that they can keep this up for 162, but it's looking pretty good through uh, the first 30 or 40.
0: As you look around baseball, is there anything else that's really caught your eye that you find pretty interesting so far on this young season?
2: I did not expect well. All right, in the National League East. I didn't expect the National League East to be uh, the Mets running and hiding uh, yeah. as they've run and hid so far from the rest of the division, at least at the time they were taping this. Uh, other than that, the Angels are certainly one. The White Sox struggle uh, has been really interesting because it's, it's a combination of a lot of guys getting hurt and some strange losses uh, in the early part of the season that you wouldn't have expected them uh, to have. Certainly um, I other than that, certainly the Red Sox uh, floundering as they have. The Red Sox and Tigers both floundering. I want to just say one thing on the Tigers. That the, so the Tigers at the time that were taping this were 12 under 500. There was a feeling in Detroit that they had done enough to contend in the al central but if you looked at the statistical projections for their players that was not necessarily so it kind of felt like they had gotten part way through the job but not necessarily finished the job in terms of what they needed to do and player acquisitions um so not total surprise that they've floundered a little bit at the start those would be my um, team related things at least in the early part of the season
0: Well, Mark, before you go, we're a big fan of yours and what you do and your podcast as well. We talked about it on the air the other night. You got to tell us where to go, where to find everything, all your good (laughs) work.
2: Sure. Um, SportsInfoSolutions.com is a good place for that. Uh, That's the company. Uh, We... Uh, create and invent stats that we sell to major league teams nba teams and nfl teams and on the right hand uh, side of the page is all our written content uh you can also follow us on twitter at uh, sports info underscore s i s uh and i'm at mark a simon says so that's that's where i would follow uh, follow along
0: Mark, I love our chats. We'll have to do it again this year. Maybe when the Mariners play the Yankees coming up, we'll, we'll connect <laughs> again and have a talk. But thank you for all the time. We really appreciate it.
3: You got it. It's always great to hear from our good friend Mark Simon. And now we're going to chat with Taylor Dollard, pitcher at Arkansas, who's been excellent this year. How about this? In six starts, an ERA of 0.82, 22 innings, 23 strikeouts, five walks, so many things going well. For Dollar, who recently won Texas League Pitcher
1: of the Week. So everything's been going well so far. Um, obviously had a little uh, hiccup with the blister problems that I was dealing with um, from the beginning. But uh, honestly, the biggest thing for me has just been filling up the strike zone and getting attacked or getting ahead of hitters and attacking hitters um, and getting myself in counts that uh, allow me to execute my pitches at a uh, at a good level. And honestly, it's just been. It's been fun so far. I mean, I'm excited. The team's really good around me and whenever I don't have my stuff, like guys around me are picking me up. Um but yeah, it's been it's been fun so far and like I said, just attacking hitters early in counts and kinda of getting ahead and being able to throw my stuff late to get guys out. We
0: know you spent a lot of time as your first couple of years in college as a reliever and then transitioned to a starter. And that's what you've been doing in the Mariner system so far. You've made that transition look pretty easy. Has it been as easy as it's looked from the outside?
1: I would say yes and no. It's definitely a lot different than what I was in or what I started my college career at. Um, I mean, in high school, I was definitely a starter. Um and when I got to college and I went to the bullpen my first two years there, uh, it, that was an adjustment for me. Um, and then going back into starting my junior season um, was a little was definitely a little different, getting my pitch count higher. Um, but I feel like I've done a pretty good job of kind of figuring out my routine for the week to get myself right for every start. Um, and honestly, it's kind of nice being able to wake up every day and kind of have a plan of what I'm going to do and how I'm going to do it.
0: How different a pitcher are you since you entered the Mariner system?
1: <laughs> uh, I would say very different. Mm. Um, I have kept a lot of things from like when I got drafted in terms of like command and everything like that because when I got drafted, it was mostly mostly like command and slider stuff. And I think, honestly, since I've gotten drafted, my Velo's been on a good trend um, in the upward department. And I think that a lot of my usages and pitch shapes and – all that type of stuff has just slowly improved. I think the coaches have really helped me out with that. Um, and definitely guys, just teammates helping me out with catch play stuff or showing me how they throw their pitches has um, kind of rubbed off on me in a good way. And honestly, I think I've taken a lot of steps forward in the in the right direction, and hopefully I can just keep on that path.
0: Well, you mentioned teammates, and really for the second year in a row, it's kind of overwhelming the starting arms that have been in Arkansas, and it's like that again this year. You're with George Kirby, you're with Levi stout, just to name a couple. What has it been like to be surrounded by that level of arm?
1: It's fun, man. Uh, you get to every day you're on an off day you're watching whoever it is on the mound just go out and pitch like an absolute animal, you know? Um, it's, it's fun to watch. I mean, those guys are unbelievable talents and I think it, it rubs off on me. Like I said, um, I want to be like them. I want to compete like them. And I think just picking up little things here and there from them, whether it's how to throw this pitch or what do you think about when you're doing this or like, Hey, what do you do for recovery? I mean, there's just a ton of knowledge that I feel like uh, as a staff, like we're really good at passing around to each other to help each other succeed and having top talent around me. And I think I can speak for everybody on the team. Having guys like that around just makes everybody better.
0: You know, we had a chance to watch George Kirby in spring training. You've had a chance to watch him so far this season. How do you describe watching George Kirby pitch?
1: Unbelievable. Um, One word, unbelievable. He, uh, the way he goes about his business and the way that he can command the strike zone and it, it's just I've never seen anything like it and it's definitely somebody who I try to like emulate you know and mm. just the way he goes about his business is very professional he's a great guy off the field I mean we're roommates on the road so I get to spend plenty of time with George um, and it's it's a blast man he's he's a great guy on and off the field and Honestly, I'm excited for his future. I think he's got big things coming.
0: For fans that have never watched you pitch, how would you describe yourself?
1: Uh, I would describe myself as a uh, strike thrower, man. I mean, mm. I, I fill up the zone pretty well. And I think the biggest thing for me is just being able to throw my four-pitch mix for strikes and get my get ahead in counts and kind of play baseball. You know, it's, I'm not going to go out there and light up the radar gun and. 101, like Kirby does sometimes, <laughs> but I'm definitely gonna definitely gonna pitch and like kind of show off a little four pitch mix and find ways to get guys out consistently.
0: Were you always a pitcher?
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah. I uh, I think my last at bat, like consistently, was like freshman year of high school. <laughs> yeah, I could I could very very clearly remember a conversation I had with my dad. We were. I was like 10 or 11, and I remember coming home from a game that I didn't get a hit in, and I was like, Dad, I just want to pitch. <laughs> and he turned he turned around in the car, and he was like, what did you say? I'm like, Dad, I just want to pitch. He's like, well, you can't do that yet. You're not old enough. Like, You you need to still hit. And I was like, Dad, I, I just I just want to pitch. And so sure enough, like sophomore year in high school, they gave me the ultimatum, like, hey, if you want to play on the varsity team, you need to be where you're only going to pitch. And I was like – Sign me up. <laughs> nice. That's
0: so good. How did your experience at Cal Poly help your progression as a
1: pitcher? Oh, pheno- phenomenally. I mean, Coach Larry Lee is probably, I'd probably put him in the top five coaches in the country mm. without a question. I mean, every day I stepped on the field there, I was learning something new. Um, whether it was positioning, whether it was like where the ball is supposed to go, whether it's whatever has to do with, like, defensive positioning. And then on the flip side, it's, like, the same thing. I would learn from my pitching coaches, Chow Fanning and Jake Silverman, who just helped me develop as a pitcher, command the strike zone, and allow me to, like, go out and compete. And honestly, like, if if it weren't for Cal Poly, I don't know where I would be. I mean, those coaches were phenomenal. The trainers were phenomenal. Um, And all all my friends that I have there were just – super supportive of me throughout my career. And honestly, I can't say enough about that place.
0: So I've done a few basketball games there. And I got to say, I think Cal Poly is one of the underrated campuses in the country. On the water, beautiful weather, great spot. I imagine you had some outdoor activities. What were you into at Cal Poly?
1: Oh, it, it doesn't get better. I mean, it, the cold days are like cold, but then every other day after that is literally 75 and sunny. Yeah so you can't beat the weather your 10, 15 minute drive to the beach one way or the other. And it's like, it, it is the most beautiful, like mountain greenery, like you'll ever see. I mean, it's unbelievable. Um, but for us, like we, my, uh, couple of my buddy or my teammates, um, were big into surfing. And so mm-hmm. they kind of got me to start surfing with them during, uh, when COVID first hit because we had nothing else to do. And I was like, "Sir, sure, I'll get in the water. Like I'll learn how to do it. And so sure enough, like picked it up and I really, really enjoyed it. It was very, it's very therapeutic and it's like a great workout too. Um, so we were surfing probably once or twice a day, at least like basically every day.
0: Nice. Um,
1: and the, I mean the waves, the beaches are just unbelievable. Weather's unbelievable. Um, and like I said, that I, I, they just redid the uh, Cal Poly baseball field too. And it looks absolutely gorgeous
0: you grew up a Yankees fan and your brother grew up a Mets fan in California. How did this happen?
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: So, I mean, I was, I was clearly the child raised, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, no. So uh, my family's originally from uh, New York on Long Island. Oh. Um, and so, Basically, when I was growing up, my grandpa was, got me like super into the Yankees, and my mom, was, being a mama's boy, was a Yankees fan, too. Mm. Um, so I was cheering for the Yankees, and my dad, on the other hand, is Jets-Mets fan. Um, so my brother took after him, and so he basically followed that path with the Mets throughout his life, too.
0: Did that lead to any confrontation? Were you two okay? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, believe me, me and him have sports debates at least once a day, if not more, for, like, as long as time can go on, basically.
0: Well, I imagine everyone's a Mariners fan in the family now.
1: Oh, believe me, we have – shifted gears to say the least. There's a lot of Mariners gear around the house now. <laughs> nice. What What was that
0: moment like? It was such a strange draft. It was a strange year when you were drafted in all our lives, really. What was that moment like when you were picked by the Mariners?
1: Oh, I, I, I still just, I still get the chills talking about it, honestly. Um, but for me, it was just it was a dream come true, honestly, um, because it was during COVID, too, and the draft got shortened to five rounds. I didn't know if I was going to end up getting drafted for whatever I wanted, and honestly, it was the longest day of my life, mm. um, because when the way it worked out was they televised round one, and then the next day they televised rounds two through five. And being on TV and stuff, the draft obviously takes a lot longer with commercials and breakdowns and like all that stuff. So I think the draft started at like two o'clock and I didn't end up hearing my name called until like seven. So I was sitting there on the couch, just absolutely sweating, um, wait, heartbeat out of my neck, just like waiting for the call, just waiting and waiting and waiting. And it was nice too, because I had my friends and my family around me too. So it it was a super cool experience. And once I finally got that call the room kinda of went silent. Like everything just nobody said a word. And sure enough, like five picks later, my name got announced and mm-hmm. we were going crazy. We were celebrating. Everybody was happy. I shed a little tear. Mom shed tears too. I mean, it was it was surreal, honestly.
0: Now this is an audio conversation. There's no visuals to go along with it. So we're gonna need some really good description from you, but you've got to describe your hair.
1: I was waiting for this question.
0: Yeah. Honestly. Well, you knew it was
2: coming.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, of course, of course. Um, no, so uh, I have a uh, bleach mohawk. For those that don't know, um, definitely definitely turned some heads, to put it the lightest way. Um, but the story the story behind it goes back to my sophomore year of college. Was I used to have like the full head of hair, like long hair, like if anybody knows my teammate Colin Cober um we kind of had very similar haircuts like when i first got drafted or um my sophomore year i mean and when i ended up getting drafted they posted like a side-by-side picture of the two of us and so like we looked like twins basically Mm. um and during my sophomore season one of my teammates uh his mom was starting chemo and so a bunch of us shaved our heads and for me it was without a doubt buzzed all of it off and sure enough once the hair started coming back my uh my best one of my best friends and teammates dylan Lobos came up to me and was like hey man we should do mohawks and i was like all right yeah cool i'm in I, whatever so we ended up going mohawks for the rest of the season and uh in the summer ball it started to get longer and longer and i was like yo i kind of like the way this is looked <laughs> then all of a sudden one day Don't know why, but I woke up one day and I was like, you know what, I kind of want to bleach it. I think I'm going to bleach it. So sure enough, uh, I go home, my mom bleaches my hair for me, and it's been a staple ever since.
0: You mentioned your slider. We know about your fastball. How did your other two pitches come about in your progression?
1: Yeah, so the, the curveball is actually a funny story, too. Um, it was, I, I believe it was like towards the end of my sophomore season in college again, um, and into summer ball. So it was like the very last couple of weeks of my sophomore season and in the summer ball, I wanted to start throwing, um, something else other than my fastball and slider mix because my changeup wasn't really good either, mm. but I knew I could, I knew I have the ability to spin the ball pretty well. Um, and so one day I was just playing catch with one of my teammates and I was like, Hey, I'm going to throw a curveball here. And sure enough, I threw it and it was really good. And I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to run with this a little bit. And so slowly, but surely, like throughout the end of my sophomore season, in the like throughout summer ball, I was throwing a curveball. And I was like, this thing is really good. I can, I can throw this to, it gives me an ability to throw this pitch to lefties, um, get ahead early in, against righties. And ever since then, I've kind of just kept developing that pitch over and over and over. And Honestly, where it's at right now is makes me very happy. Um, and then the change-up is another funny story, actually. Um, last season in Everett, I had a, a sit-down with our pitching coach, Sean McGrath, and I was like, hey, if you were to tell me to throw one pitch, what would it be? And I, he, was, he was joking with me. He says, a knuckleball. <laughs> and so I looked at him. I'm like, no, 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 no. Seriously, like, what would you tell me to throw? And he was like, well, I would tell you to throw Levi Stout's changeup. So I go over to talk to Levi, or I go over and I see Levi. I'm like, hey, how do you throw your changeup? And he shows me the grip. And ever since that point, that has been the changeup grip that I've thrown. And that's the pitch that has developed into a very, very good pitch for me now, too, against lefties especially. Um, So that credit for the change definitely goes out to uh Sam McGrath and bust out no doubt. That just goes back to like what I was saying earlier like being around guys with elite pitches and elite talent. I mean, it just you, there's there's no words to describe how much it does for our careers.
0: Wow, that's great. Well, Taylor, thank you for all the time you've taken today. We really appreciate it. Congrats on the great start and we'll catch up again soon. Thanks so much.
1: Of course. Thank you so much for uh, having me.